WABC New York and 1071 WLIR Hampton Bays. It's the 77 WABC News Hour. Talking the news with Noah Layden. All the news you need to know with Joe Nolan, Traffic, Justin Ellick, Sports, Lou Dobbs, Business. And now, talking the news with Noah on 77 WABC. Yep, that's me. Five o'clock. Good morning. It is Thursday, April 20th. Your forecast from the Ramsey Mazda Weather Center. Clouds today. Could see a pop-up shower, high 60. Tonight, overnight, clear, low 50. Friday, sun and clouds, high 70. If you're walking out the door with us right now, 41, partly cloudy up in Spring Valley, 44 out in Hackettstown, and 46 and mostly clear here in Midtown. A lot to get to as we work our way up to the 6 o'clock hour and sit in friends in the morning last night. My kids want to go see the Knicks in the playoffs, right? It's not too often, it seems, that the Knicks actually are in the playoffs. And so I went online to see uh, how much tickets were. And I knew they were going to be expensive, but I did not realize how expensive they would be. Because I've taken them to see the Nets have been in the playoffs more often than the Knicks have over the recent years. And for some reason, the Nets tickets are a lot cheaper. So I went on to see what the Knicks tickets were going for at StubHub. And the cheapest ticket I could find for a game was $341. That just got me into the arena. $341 a ticket. That's more than seeing Springsteen, right? I mean, you can get into Springsteen for less than that. $341. So uh, there's four of us. And let's see if I add that all up together. Let's round it up to 400 because I don't have a bad, better time adding it up. It's 4, 8, 12. That'd be 1600 bucks for us to go see a two-hour Nick game that I could then sit on my couch and see for free. Of course, it's much more entertaining being inside the garden watching that. But how crazy has that been? And and the thing is, of course, because it's New York City, that ticket could be a thousand bucks, and uh, they would still sell out for the playoffs because there'll always be an appetite or some business that wants to take out clients. They'll buy up, snap up those tickets, but that just gets you in the arena. Three hundred and forty-one bucks. That means my back is up against the wall at the top of the garden, and I've paid three hundred and forty-one dollars. I, I then went to see what a courtside seat would run me. And uh, with all the fees, these are, of course, on the secondary market because the tickets are already all sold out. But um, if you want a courtside seat, it's 20 grand <laughs> for one seat to see a two-hour Nick game. Seems a little bit nutty for me. All right, let's get into the headlines. I'll start then. How about that? No, not working? Okay. A wild car chase through Manhattan last night. Oh, there we go. We have a better idea of what took down that parking garage. There is a Democrat besides Biden in the race for the White House. Florida is coming for our NYPD cops. And a woman finds an urn in the trash in Rockland County. All right, let's jump into it at 5.03. Just a wild chase here in Manhattan last night. NYPD cop injured, chasing down a driver who repeatedly avoided a traffic stop. This was Midtown Manhattan, started at about 5 o'clock last night. Uh, Cops from the Midtown South Precinct attempting to pull over this black Cadillac, West 39th Street and 7th Avenue. The driver fled the first traffic stop, took out a fire hydrant, 
hydrant. This was on Park Avenue and uh, almost hit a lot of people along the way. Ran the red light, boom, 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 broke a fire hydrant. There was an old lady crossing the street, almost clipped her. So, I mean, I was scared to death, okay? Yeah. yeah, the driver then hit a squad car, almost ran over this woman who was crossing the street with a walker. The car kept speeding down the street. I was crossing from this side to that side. The car, I, was, I had the light. His, his wheel hit me down here, and the bumper came through. Yeah, thankfully she's okay. The black Cadillac was then located Madison Avenue, East 30th Street. Officers once again tried to stop the car. When the driver fled the scene, that's when they hit the officer, drove through an outdoor dining structure. The banged his window left and right. He didn't want to stop. He ran over the sidewalk. Uh, a large uh, rumble similar to uh, like uh, a tornado coming through. We ran to the back and we were hiding in the kitchen. There's all kinds of video all over Twitter of this wild chase, everybody catching portions of it because it went for a number of blocks. The vehicle fled for a third time when police were able to sort of get to it and then it hit another vehicle. I just see this car going back and forward and hitting every, every car. That's the moment I got my phone out and I just see this car like going straight for the sidewalk and not giving anything. Just went for it and he came out of the car after the airbag and everything went off and ran an escape. Yeah, he got away. The officer who was hit has an injury to his head. He was rushed to Bellevue Hospital. The good news here is he's expected to survive. Still unclear why these police officers were trying to pull over this Cadillac in the first place. There's been no arrest, the investigation ongoing. 505 now. The father of 20-year-old Kaylin Gillis, who died over the weekend in an upstate New York driveway shooting, is speaking out today. WABC's Alex Barnard has the latest on that, and he joins us live. Good morning, Alex. Good morning, Nelman. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. You need to bring up his mic. There you go. Ah, uh, yes. Now you're on. Well, anyway, a distraught Andrew Gillis described how Kaylin's two younger sisters and mother will have to go on living without her. She had hopes and dreams of becoming a marine biologist or a veterinarian. She loved animals. And this man took that away from us. He also said that he is grateful he spoke to her before she left their home while adding some strong wishes for her killer. If any, anything... I'm thankful for is that I got to tell her that I love her before she walked out the door. For this man to sit on his porch and fire at a car, no threat, is just, just angers me so badly. And I, I just hope to God that he dies in jail. Kaylin was one of four in a car looking for a friend's residence in Hebron, New York, when they accidentally drove up the wrong driveway. When they realized their mistake, the car's driver, Blake Walsh, said they began to leave, which is when 65-year-old Kevin Monahan emerged and fired at the car twice, striking Gillis in the neck. Monahan is charged with second-degree murder. 
Do we know anything about Monaghan? Has he done something like this before? Well, uh, it appears that he may have been a little bit disgruntled with people turning into his driveway before. It seems as though uh, people may have been turning into his driveway a lot. This is a street where uh, people get turned around a lot, I guess. Who right. knows? Oh, God, just a god-awful story. WABC's Alex Barnard, thank you very much. WABC News Time 509 crews starting what is a very methodical process of taking down that parking garage that collapsed in lower Manhattan on Tuesday, killing one person, injuring five others. Emergency Management Commissioner Zach Iskall says they'll first concentrate on removing the vehicles from the four-story century-old garage. Right now we're transitioning to... To, uh, how we safely take down that building. And it's incredibly complex. There's over 50 cars on the roof. Uh, the building is not structurally sound. The old age of the building by uh, Ann and William Street combined with the large number of vehicles parked on their roof appeared to be the biggest factors in this collapse. City officials reviewing records of the property, past violations. Mayor Adams says they're looking, of course, into the cause. Uh, they think it's those two things, though. Everything from a weight capacity to how many cars can be there, and that is all part of this investigation. Yeah, so neighbors now giving a glimpse into the life of the man believed to have been killed in the wreckage of the parking garage. Those neighbors are identifying him as 59-year-old Willis Moore. The city has not identified him, but neighbors say that is the man who worked in this garage. He lived in Queens, was the manager of the Ann Street parking garage, uh, was in the office when it came tumbling down. Thank you. It's honestly, it's a lot to take in. But when my sister went outside walking her dog, she had came back in and told me that uh, my neighbor's family, they said that he had an accident at work. And, you know, they did say he passed away from the accident at work. Yeah, so the city told us last night the body of the victim removed from the debris last night was on the way to the medical examiner's office. People in the neighborhood talking about Willis Moore. I mean, all they had to do was say great things about what a neighbor he was. He was sort of an institution on the block. As soon as I turned the news on, I heard of the, the, uh, the collapse. And I said to myself, I pray that's not his garage. I can't process this because last summer I even shared uh, vegetables with them because I have a vegetable garden and we're both from Jamaica. From what I know, he liked to fish a lot. He would like, anytime he would go, he'd always bring back something for my mom as well. When I was younger, he would give us like tickets to Six Flags every now and then. Neighbors say Moore is a father of four. One of his daughters is actually an active duty NYPD cop. He's like a fixture in the neighborhood. I, I see him as a fixture because you know he's such a nice, nice guy to, to talk to. Yeah, imagine we'll get a definite identification, though. These neighbors say that's who it is sometime later today. Meanwhile, the technology being used to comb through the rubble, you maybe you've seen it, that robot that looks kind of like a dog crawling through, was doing so in the beginning just to make sure there weren't more bodies trapped inside the rubble. Use the technology uh, to get information and, and reconnaissance uh, without putting our firefighters' lives and our first responders' lives at risk. And Tal Mahmoudi is a structural engineer. He says the city needs to take a fresh look at the weight and capacity inside garages all over the city. These garages are packed. So when it was designed, let's say 1970s, was the idea to have loading throughout the garage. 
the Manhattan District Attorney's Office is going to investigate the collapse. Uh, that's according to a spokesman from Alvin Bragg's office speaking out yesterday. And Mayor Adams agreeing with that structural engineer. Now's the time to start going through garage, garage by garage because cars are bigger and heavier than they were 25 years ago. We are living in a new environment and we have to constantly analyze and upgrade everything from a weight capacity to how many cars can be there. And that is all part of this investigation. So this building first started being used as a parking garage back in 1957. The owner had been issued dozens of violations since. 513 now. Robert F. Kennedy Jr. launching his 2024 presidential campaign yesterday in Boston. He focused in on this first speech on the Ukraine war and poverty in America. 57% of Americans cannot put their hand on $1,000 if they have an emergency. Of course, he's the oldest son of the late New York Senator Robert F. Kennedy, nephew of President John F. Kennedy and Massachusetts Senator Edward Ted Kennedy. The Democrat runs an anti-vaccine charity, which has a lot of Democrats scratching their heads because Democrats tend to be more vaccine friendly than Republicans are. I mean, this isn't completely the you know, I can't say 100 percent that. But um, the fact that an anti-vaxxer might be was running for the Democratic ticket, some say that that's enough to sink them right there. Uh, Kennedy family members uh, are you know, not unhappy that he's running, but have said in the past they do not support his anti-vax stance. I think that we need to know as Americans, and we have a right to know, what is our government's chief objective in this war? Yeah, he's talking about the Ukraine war. They stayed away from mostly the vaccine controversy uh, that surrounds his family anyway and him yesterday during the speech. But, of course, he'll have to answer for it on the campaign for people who are pro-vax and anti-vax for that matter. All right, 515, let's head over to the 77 WABC Sports Desk and say good morning and happy Thursday, Justin Ellis. Well, happy Thursday, Friday Eve, Gnome Elated. Oh, I like that. Yeah, yeah, you like that. Uh, we got to work Friday into the name of Thursday. I don't even know why they call it Thursday. (laughs) Makes no sense to me. Anyway, both of our major league ball clubs bounced back with wins last night. The Yankees edged out a victory in extras over the L.A. Angels in the Bronx. Nobody shined brighter than Aaron Judge, who essentially beat the Angels himself last night after using his 6-7 frame to rob a Shohei Otani homer in the top of the first. Judge stepped up in the bottom half to make sure the Yanks grabbed an early lead. There he goes. Pitch swung on. Hit in the air to deep left center. It is high. It is far. It is gone. It's a Judgian blast to deep left field. And the Yankees take a 2-0 lead. He rounds third. Everyone rise. Here comes the Judge. That call courtesy of WFA and the Angels would eventually tie things at two before Glaber Torres' sacrifice fly in the bottom of the 10th sent Yankees fans home happy with a big win. The rubber game finale of the series is set for 4.05 p.m. Eastern time this afternoon at the stadium with Nestor Cortez getting the nod against L.A.'s Patrick Sandoval. Now for the Mets, who secured another series win this time over the Dodgers in Los Angeles, taking the finale by a score of 5-3. to three. This game was not without controversy, though, as Mets ace Max Scherzer was ejected from the ballgame after just three innings following a substance check from the umpire. 
Fires. Nonetheless, the Mets bullpen picked up the Aces slack while the offense took care of the rest. And New York will take the win right into a four-game set in San Francisco against the Giants. Set to begin tonight at 9.45 p.m. Eastern Time. Kodai Senga will take the hill against San Fran's Michael Grove. On what the was the substance? Do we know? He says it was just rosin and uh, and sweat. In the, in the 5.45 update, Noam, don't worry, I got some sound. Really? Yeah, he swears on his children. That he didn't use anything illegal. What, what would it could it be? It could be some sort of sticky tar. Yeah, thing like I mean, that. in the past, pitchers would use uh, uh, Garrett Cole's whole thing was a spider tack. So, uh, you know, he got a lot of flack for that because his performance fell off once they did the substance ban. But uh, you know, a lot of huh. pitchers, a lot of pitchers are against it. I'm a huge proponent of just letting them use whatever they want. Of course, yeah. what do we care? Exactly, hitters are allowed to use pine tar. Right, right. So. There you go. On the ice now, the Islanders dropped another close one to the Hurricanes in Carolina, losing Game 2 of their first-round playoff series by a score of 4-3 to three in overtime. They showed more fight on offense in this contest, coming back from two goals down to actually grab a lead midway through the final period. That was before Carolina's Jacob Slavin buried the equalizer, setting up Carolina for the OT winner off the stick of Jesper Fast. Down two games to none now. The Isles will come home tomorrow night for Game 3, where they'll hopefully use the almost advantage to climb their way back into the series and looking ahead to ice hockey action tonight. The Rangers and Devils are ready to go for Game 2 of their opening round series. Puck drop set for 7.30 p.m. in Newark with the Blue Shirts currently up a one game on the rival Devs. And tonight on the hardwood, the Nets return home, I should say, for game three of their first round playoff series with the Philadelphia 76ers. Tip-off set for 7.30 p.m. Eastern time with the Nets currently down two games to none. Here with sports on 77 WABC. I'm Justin Alec. You shouldn't have any problem at all. Belt Parkway even behaving itself. Just a little bit of a delay. You know, we're just getting started on this Thursday morning. You'll want to get in line to take out a Bronx man who took out his kid We'll get into that story before the morning is over. Some teenagers arrested in that mass shooting in Alabama and Florida. They're coming for our NYPD cops. Those stories and more. But first at 520, a check of Wall Street. Here's Lou Dobbs. This is the 77 WABC Lou Dobbs Financial Report. The stock market moving lower midweek. The Dow Jones Industrials down another 79 points yesterday. Wall Street bracing for another interest rate hike next month. Investors, however, still betting rate hikes will pause. More mixed corporate results hurting stock prices. Tesla earnings mostly on pace with Wall Street's estimates. Revenue slightly below the previous quarter, down 20% year over year. Net income down 24 percent from the previous year. Tesla stock down slightly in after-hours trading. Fifth Third and Huntington headlining regional bank earnings today. Existing home sales expected down for last month. That after February's 14.5% surge, snapping a 12-month streak of declining home sales. Please join me several times each weekday right here on 77 WABC. This is the Lou Dobbs Financial Report. Keep listening for more to 77 77- WABC for the Lou Dobbs Financial Report. 521, let's go up to the Bronx. A Bronx man charged with just horrific acts of child abuse against two children he may have kept locked in their Bronx apartment for months on end. The sicko, 34-year-old Michael Ramos, arrested yesterday. Laundry list of child abuse and weapons charges. A resident called 911 after hearing crying that Ramos had allegedly tried to cover up by blasting loud music in his apartment. Neighbors say they thought the two children, a 12-year-old boy and a 14-year-old sister of his, were being homeschooled in that apartment. He's a good man. He's a good man. Like, I, I, I'm surprised by everything. Like, that's crazy. When I'll come inside, they'll be on the laptop. Like, I know that. 
outcome. And I'll see them on the laptop in the living room doing school and stuff like that. Yeah, kids discovered in deplorable conditions at the East uh, Chester Garden housing complex on Burke Avenue. Prosecutors say now the siblings were last allowed to leave that apartment in January. Right, Today is April 20th. Uh, in late March, they say Ramos started inflicting what was just terrible abuse. The 12-year-old, clearly beaten in the face, suffered a swollen eye, bruises all over his body. His 14-year-old sister had bruises on her body as well. A childhood friend of Ramos was shocked to hear about the charges because as far as he knew, he said Ramos was a good guy. He's a good dude. Like That's why we're like, what? what's going on? Like... He's, I'm really surprised. Yeah, but apparently, allegedly not the case. Hospital doctors discovered a pattern of injuries. They both appeared to be unnaturally skinny, indicating they were not regularly fed. The children hospitalized for the foreseeable future. They need refeeding as their bodies need to learn how to digest again. I mean, this is really just god-awful. The children told detectives they had not been let out of the apartment in months and were pistol-whipped with a gun and tied up with an electrical cord. Ramos, uh, the mother in this case, she had served uh, as the children's guardian for years, but unfortunately she passed away in December, and they handed the kids over to the dad, which, of course, ended up being just a terrible mistake. 524, let's go down to Alabama. Three teenagers now behind bars in connection to that mass shooting at a Sweet 16 party. Four people were killed, 32 injured, when shots broke out at a dance studio in Dadeville Saturday night. This is Alabama. And when you pull out a gun and you start shooting people, we're going to put you in jail. During a press conference, that's Alabama Law Enforcement Agency Sergeant Jeremy Burkett announcing that a 17 and a 16-year-old arrested charged with four counts of reckless murder each. They said more charges coming. Alabama Law Enforcement Agency's State Bureau of Investigation officially arrested and charged four counts of reckless murder each. What they didn't tell us was a motive for the shooting. This is absolutely the beginning. This is not the end. There is a tremendous amount of work that is yet to be done. Yeah, Burkett saying these are just the tip of the iceberg in terms of what might be coming down the pike in terms of charges. 525 now. Let's go down to Memphis. The family of Tyree Nichols suing the city of Memphis officers and officials from the police department. Family attorney Benjamin Crump making the announcement yesterday. Today we announce a $500 million landmark lawsuit against the Memphis Police Department and the city of Memphis. Nichols, you'll remember, died three days after being beaten after a traffic stop in January. Lawyers for the family filed the lawsuit, described the officers involved in the incident as modern-day lynch job, or mob, rather, and compared the murder of their son to the murder of Emmett Till. The five officers allegedly involved in the beating pled not guilty to murder charges and are set to appear back in court on May 1st. Those five police officers murdered my son. They beat him to death, and they need to be held accountable along with everyone else that has something to do with my son's murder. Tyree's mom saying there's more work to be done on the part of the Memphis Police Department. She says she will never let this story go until, until all who are involved are prosecuted. My son was here on an assignment, and he's fulfilled that assignment. God took him home, but now it's my turn 
to make sure that my son's death does not go in vain. While we're down south, let's move over a little bit to Florida. Florida targeting out-of-state law enforcement officers with a virtual job fair. And guess whose officers they want, the best ones in the world, NYPD cops. State Attorney General Ashley Moody says they're working at recruiting from New York where she insists officials are soft on crime and too hard on cops. So she says, hey, New York, if you're sick of working the streets of the big city, come down to Florida where things a little more safer, a little easier, and the pay's better. The virtual law enforcement job fair will target cities like Chicago, where they just elected a defund the police mayor in New York, where a DA there wants to do so many other things besides prosecuting repeat violent offenders. And guess who's at that virtual fair or who's signed up for this virtual fair today? Yeah. Members of the NYPD, state police chiefs and sheriffs association in Florida hosting this virtual job fair uh, today, later today. We got a lot more to get to as we work our way up to the six o'clock hour and sit in friends in the morning. The U.S. war in Afghanistan was a strategic failure. Well, you probably knew that already, but we heard from some of the people involved in the war yesterday, and you'll get to hear from them soon, just moments away. The uh, debate over the debt ceiling, it's a little bit of a yawner, but we'll hear from uh, Biden and from the Republicans. Mayor Adams out there again demanding help for the migrant crisis. He says, where's the White House and Joe Biden? We need their money. It's going to cost us a lot. And a woman in Rockland County finds an urn in the trash and she goes a long way to figure out who owns it those stories and more coming up but first this at 529 the 77 wabc news hour talking the news with noah laden on 77 wabc talking the news with noah on 77 wabc this is the 77 wabc news hour with noah laden There we go. My mic's on. Yep, that's me. Good morning. It is Thursday, April 20th. Your forecast from the Ramsey Mazda Weather Center. Clouds today could see a pop-up shower. Uh, the high 60 tonight, overnight clear, low 50. And then Friday, sun and clouds, just a beauty. High 70. If you're walking out the door with us right now, 41 and partly cloudy up in Spring Valley, 44 in Hackettstown. And it is 45 and mostly clear here in Midtown. Much more to get to as we work our way up. Six o'clock, sit in friends in the morning. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis remains coy about a run for the White House, though we are hearing this is just a matter of weeks or weeks away. Uh, if he does decide to run, he does have fewer people who are supporting his campaign. And the member of members of Congress in Florida, of course, where he's governor, have already said now they're on Trump's team. But he does have other people who say they can't wait for him to announce. One of them, Texas Republican Congressman Chip Roy. It's time to have someone who's not a baby boomer, somebody who can serve for two terms that we know we can get behind. Yeah, DeSantis needs all the allies he can get right now. Florida Congressman Brian Mast is now the seventh House Republican from the Sunshine State to back Donald Trump. He told CNN he plans to whip veteran support in the reelection. Take a new generation into town and uh, we can kind of build on what President Trump started. Yes, so uh, others say no, Trump's time is over, one of them being Trip Roy. Root out all the corruption in this town and beat the swamp that uh, President Trump so ably started. WABC News Time 533. 
U.S. is calling for an immediate ceasefire in Sudan. The United States condemn in the strongest terms violence between the Sudanese armed forces and the rapid support forces. Sudan's uh, armed forces are currently at war with a a parliamentary group and violence has broken out in Sudan's capital throughout the country. White House Press Secretary Corinne Jean-Pierre says the death toll has been high and civilians have been killed in all these military operations. U.S. officials have been working closely with regional partners to put an end to the fighting. Military operations have resulted in significant civilian deaths and injuries and are recklessly endangering the Sudanese people, diplomats, humanitarian aid workers. It's been a disaster there, by the way, for years. And while we're talking war, can you turn that down? Nobody's listening to me, are they? I'm trying to do a show here, and there's, like, people playing sound around me. (laughs) All right. The U.S. war in Afghanistan, sometimes a little crazy here. The U.S. war in Afghanistan was a strategic failure. The U.S.-supported Afghan government and military collapsed almost immediately as U.S. forces began their final withdrawal from the country. That's what Defense Department Inspector General Robert Storch telling a House Oversight Committee during a hearing on the U.S. exit from Afghanistan. The Republican-led committees reviewing the Biden administration's actions surrounding the withdrawal of troops back in 2021. The Taliban, you'll remember, quickly took over Afghanistan's capital of Kabul, and 13 U.S. service members were killed in just uh, suicide bombing. General Robert Storch says the chaotic withdrawal was the result of many decisions he said made over the course of four presidential administrations. The war in Afghanistan was, in the words of the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, a strategic failure. Special Inspector General for Afghanistan Reconstruction John Sopko says the chaotic withdrawal was the result of many decisions, and he's not willing to blame just Joe Biden. He says others are involved. These policy decisions dramatically degraded the morale of the Afghan security forces, I cannot assure this committee or the American taxpayer we are not currently funding the Taliban. Yeah, I guess we'll hear more from them in the coming days. President Biden calling on Republicans to take default off the table as Congress needs to pass legislation to raise this debt ceiling. It has to be done by the summer. We mean cuts in Social Security and Medicare, higher interest rates for things like credit cards, car loans, mortgages. Working people, middle class seniors would pay the price for the entire economy would be at risk. Two different views of how to get this done. The president contrasted his economic agenda with House Republicans. The House leading Republican proposal will cut Critical programs, so-called discretionary spending, by 22 percent. House Speaker Kevin McCarthy unveiling a plan from the Republicans to lift the U.S. debt ceiling. Would responsibly raise the debt limit into next year and provide more than $4.5 trillion in savings to the American taxpayer. McCarthy says it includes returning discretionary spending to 2022 levels, capping spending to 1% per year, and clawing back billions of dollars of unspent COVID relief funds. He also wants to roll back new IRS funding and do away with President Biden's student loan, uh, student loan forgiveness program. Our plan would return discretionary spending to pre-inflationary fiscal year 2022 levels. And then limit the growth of spending to 1% per year. Democrats have called on McCarthy to release his plan for weeks after President Biden in early March released his 2024 budget request. Now that we've introduced a clear plan for a responsible debt limit increase, they have no more excuse.
Yeah, so now the two sides will have to come together and figure this out. Again, they only have until the summer, until this whole debt ceiling has to be sorted out. 539, bring it back to City Hall. Mayor Adams, once again, demanding federal help from the White House, from the feds for the migrant crisis. By the way, they're still coming here. We had 40,000 since the spring, but I'm numbers a lot higher than that now. The mayor saying he can't afford to pay for it all uh, on his own. Our national government has abandoned this city and the actions or inaction can undermine our entire city. Officials project the crisis, which started a year ago, will cost the city more than $4 billion by June of next year. The mayor demanding the feds help the city financially grant migrants work permits. About 200 migrants a day still coming to New York, and the mayor says it's impacting every single city service. More than 55,000 migrants, so an updated their number, have come to New York since last spring, so about a year now. The national government What are you doing to the city of New York? This is impacting our schools, public safety. The mayor says so far, President Biden has not thrown the city a lifeline. He's waiting for that to happen. We need a plan. America deserves a plan. And the White House needs to give us that plan. The president and the White House has failed New York City on this issue. And they're still streaming across the border. Feds out with new numbers on illegal immigration showing a spike in March on the southern border. The head of Homeland Security, uh, uh, Alejandro Mayorkas, holding a hearing saying they're doing everything they can. That's what he says to reduce the flow. We are working very, very closely with our partners to the south to address the reasons why people leave. So in March, more than 100,000 illegal immigrants were processed and removed under Title VIII, which is a key part of President Biden's post-Title 42 plan, but more common. As well as to work with these countries to build lawful pathways. And I hear from employers across the political spectrum the need for labor. Yeah, uh, there is a need for labor, but uh, now we got these 50,000 migrants here in the city and we need money to take care of them till I guess they can take care of themselves. 541 here in the city, disabled man seeking justice, filing a lawsuit after he was senselessly beaten inside his Chelsea apartment. He's a stroke survivor. His name is Richard Regan, 60 years old. He was waiting for an elevator in his building on West 23rd Street when he says this 48-year-old Andrew Caban, the construction manager who was working on a project in his building, attacked him. He says it was completely unprovoked, punched twice in the head. There's video of this because there's a camera in the elevator, and it shows uh, Regan being punched twice in the head, slumping to the ground, unconscious, and then you see Andrew Caban walk out of the elevator. Seems to, doesn't really care too much about the fact that he just beat upon Richard. Well, here's uh, Richard's lawyers. Caban attacked Regan completely unprovoked, punching him twice in the head before fleeing the scene as Regan laid bleeding unconscious in the elevator. Lawsuit also holds that Caban's employers, ABC Management Corporation and the condominium building itself where this attack took place, responsible for the attack. Regan, who has lived in this building with his wife for 25 years, said they always felt safe there until this attack. There was no exchange of angry words. 
Mr. Regan simply indicated he had to get somewhere. The lawsuit also says after the attack, Caban fled the scene, left Regan on the floor in the elevator, bleeding and unconscious. 543. New Yorkers now have a new location to buy legal recreational marijuana in the city as a new cannabis dispensary opens its doors. Lower Manhattan today. Today's 420, which is pot day. So I'm sure that's the reason they did it. Maybe they'll wait till 420 this afternoon. I some, I've done that with some other pot shops across the city. Keyshawn Warner is the owner of the shop in Union Square. Provides an opportunity for me to, you know, show the people from my neighborhood, Wilson community that, you know, your start doesn't dictate your ending. The dispensary is called Dazed, which is probably a great name for a pot shop. It's the eighth legal marijuana dispensary in the state. It's just the fifth to open its doors in New York City. There's enough room in this industry for everyone, and I'm here to show that, you know, there is space. Revenue generated from these sales is going to go to, which specifically are the communities that have been most impacted by prohibition. Here's the biggest problem. Most New Yorkers who buy weed do not buy it in legal pot shops. No doubt if you live in the city, you've noticed uh, influx and huge number of illegal weed shops showing up in your neighborhood. And that's where people have been buying weed. It's cheaper than buying it from a state-owned store. So now that weed is legal here, Governor Hochul making sure that people buy the right stuff. The state unleashing a series of TV ads trying to convince New Yorkers to stay away from the illegal pot shops and buy ones that have the seal of the Cannabis Control Board. Here's one of the spots you'll likely see online or on TV in the coming days. Our New York roots run deep. My family has owned and operated an apple orchard for over 110 years. Now, we're bringing that knowledge and experience to the new legal cannabis industry and making safer products. When you buy legal cannabis in New York, you know exactly what you're getting. The ads tout how state-approved pot shops protect public health, which is uh, humorous in itself, and support the financial health of the community they're anchored in. But many New Yorkers say the weed they buy in illegal shops is cheaper, gives them the same high, and they say it's just as safe as the stuff they're buying in state stores. 545 now. Let's head over to the 77 WABC Sports Desk and Justin Ellick. Thank you, Noam. Both of our Major League Ball Clubs bounced back with wins last night. The Yankees edged out a victory in extras over the L.A. Angels in the Bronx. Nobody shined brighter than Aaron Judge, the captain, who essentially beat the Angels himself last night after using his 6-7 frame to rob a Shohei Otani homer in the top of the first. Judge stepped up in the bottom half to make sure the Yankees grabbed an early lead with a two-run shot. The Angels would eventually tie things at two before Glaber Torres sacrificed fly on the bottom of the 10th, sent Yankees fans home happy with a big win. The rubber game finale of the series is set for 4.05 p.m. this afternoon at the stadium with Nestor Cortez getting the nod against L.A.'s Patrick Sandoval. Now for the Mets, who secured another series win this time over the Dodgers in Los Angeles, taking the finale by a score of 5-3. This game was not without controversy, though, as Mets ace Max Scherzer was ejected from the ball game after just three innings following a substance check, su- substance check I should say, from the umpire. Scherzer spoke following the game on his gripe with what went down. He said, my hand's too sticky. And I said, I swear on my kid's life, I'm not using anything else. This is sweat and rosin, sweat and rosin. I keep saying it over and over. And they touch my hand, they say it's sticky. And i like, yes, it is, because it's sweat and rosin. And they say it's too sticky. It's not, And it, it, they threw me out because of that. Clearly upset Scherzer there, nonetheless. Can I ask you a stupid question? Sure. How do, what do they do? They actually t- touch his hands? How do they know whether... Yeah, they're touching his hands. They're feeling around his glove to see if he's got anything hidden in his, in his huh. glove. They're probably taking off his hat, seeing if he's wearing, uh, like, uh, a lot of pitchers used to put Vaseline in their hair or um, some sort of sticky, really sticky hair gel. And so after doing all that, that's when they threw him out. 
Yeah. So yeah, they must have found something. But they, right? they were checking him. They they had already checked him in the third inning once and told him, go wash your hands, go wash your hands. He had washed like three times in front of an MLB rules official, huh. had washed his hands before he went back out there, and they still ejected him from the ballgame. Interesting. Well, that I mean, I would think that means they have something on them. I, maybe, but yeah. I don't know. I, if you wash your hands three times, no, I, I would think your hands are clean. I would think so, too, but, yeah. but apparently in his case, maybe not. There you go. These pitchers, they have a lot of different ways of, uh, of getting their hands on that stuff. They had it in their belts. They had it on, you know, in their back pockets. It's all over the place. Hmm. So New York will take the win, though, right into a four-game set in San Francisco against the Giants set uh, against the Giants set to begin tonight at 9.45 p.m. Eastern Time. Kodai Senga taking the hill against San Fran's Michael Grove on the ice. The Islanders dropped another close one to the Hurricanes in Carolina, losing game two of their first-round playoff series by a score of 4-3 to three in overtime. New York showed more fight on offense in this contest, coming back from two goals down to actually grab a lead midway through the final period. That was before Cardinals' Jacob Slavin buried the equalizer, setting up Carolina for the OT winner off the stick of Jesper Fast. Down two games to none now. The Giles will come home tomorrow night for game three, where they'll hopefully use the home ice advantage to climb their way back into the series. Ice hockey action tonight to look forward to. Rangers and Devils are ready to go for game two of their opening round series. Puck drop set for 7.30 p.m. in Newark with the Blue Shirts currently up a game on the rival devs and tonight on the hardwood the nets return home for game three of their first round playoff series with the philadelphia 76ers tip off set for 7 30 with the nets currently down two games to none here with sports on 77 wabc i'm justin Alec. let's catch you up on some of the biggest stories of the morning nypd cop injured while chasing down a driver who repeatedly avoid a traffic stop in midtown manhattan last night this was between five and six o'clock uh last night. Officers from the Midtown South Precinct attempted to pull over this black Cadillac, West 39th and 7th Avenue. The driver was able to flee three different times. One of the times, first time taking out a fire hydrant to get away. Ran the red light, boom, 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 broke a fire hydrant. There's an old lady crossing the street, almost clipped her. I mean, I was scared to death, but Drive, okay. Yeah, driver then hit a squad car, almost ran over this woman who was crossing the street with a walker. The car kept speeding down the street. I was crossing from this side to that side. The car, I, was, I had the light. His, his wheel hit me down here, and the bumper came flying off. Thankfully, she's okay. So a short time later, they caught up with this Cadillac again. Madison Avenue, East 30th Street. Officers again tried to stop the car. When the driver fled the scene, they struck an officer and then drove through an outdoor dining structure to get away from police. Cops were banging his window left and right. They didn't want to stop. They ran over the sidewalk. Uh, A large uh, rumble similar to uh, like uh, a tornado coming through. We ran to the back and we were hiding in the kitchen. The vehicle fled for a third time collided with another vehicle. I just see this car going back and forward and hitting every, every car. That's the moment I got my phone out. And I just see this car like going straight for the sidewalk and not giving anything. Just went for it. And he came out of the car after the airbag and everything went off and ran an escape. The officer hit, uh, has an injury to his head. He was rushed to Bellevue Hospital. The good news here is he's expected to survive. Still unclear why officers were trying to pull over this Cadillac in the first place. There had been no arrest, but as actually I was doing this story, so many great cops who listen to WABC, some who I'm in touch with, 
He just texted me and he says the driver um, who fled in this car, this is the reason they're having a hard time finding him, is they're pretty sure he had fake license plates. So they were able to get the license plate number, but it was not attached to the car and not connected to the right person. So maybe it was a stolen car. Anyway, the story's still up in the air at this hour as they try to figure out what exactly took place and who that driver is. And maybe as the day goes on, on, we'll get more information as to why they were trying to pull him over. And the uh, crews are uh, starting this very methodical process of taking down the parking garage that collapsed in lower manhattan on tuesday killing one person injuring five others right now we're transitioning to uh how we safely take down that building and it's incredibly complex there's over 50 cars on the roof uh the building is not structurally sound that taking place as neighbors in queens giving us a glimpse into the life of a man believed to be the one that was killed in the wreckage of the parking garage they identify him as 59 year old willis moore he was the manager of the Ann Street parking garage. He was trapped in that office of the garage when it collapsed. I think it's, honestly, it's a lot to take in. But when my sister went outside walking her dog, she had came back in and told me that uh, my neighbor's family, they said that he had an accident at work. And, you know, they did say he passed away from the accident at work. More a beloved figure in his neighborhood, father of four. One of his daughters, an active NYPD cop. As soon as I turned the news on, I heard of the the, the, uh, the collapse. And I said to myself, I pray that's not his garage. I can't process this. Because last summer, I even shared uh, vegetables with him. Because I have a vegetable garden. And we're both from Jamaica. From what I know, he liked to fish a lot. He would like, anytime he would go, he'd always bring back something from my mom as well. When I was younger, he would give us like tickets to Six Flags every now and then. His body uh, pulled from the wreckage last night. They'll positively identify him later today. And Mayor Adams says, yeah, now's the time to go around and look at other parking garages across the city because vehicles have gotten bigger, but the parking garages are still the same size. We're living in a new environment, and we have to constantly analyze and upgrade everything from a weight capacity to how many cars can be there. And that is all part of this investigation. Let's go up to Rockland County. A Rockland County woman's urn was found last week in a trash pile. It's now been reunited with her family. Sarah Grace Long found the urn when she stopped to rummage through a trash pile outside of a house in Slotesburg on Route 17. And as she did, she found this urn. I was walking up to the pile and there was, you could kind of see... The decoration on the vase under some of the rubble, I thought it was just a vase. I picked it up, it weighed like a brick. And I spun it around and I saw the mask card and I was like, this is somebody's remains. Yeah, there was a mask card on the front of this urn. So she could have just left it there. I imagine a lot of people would have, but she did not. She did a Google search for the name on the mask card, found it held the remains of Kathleen Ania, who died back in 2008, was from Stony Point. So she says, how do I connect this to the family? So she did what a lot of people do. She went to social media. She found a Rockland County group on Facebook, and Ania's grandson just happened to be a member of that group and said, yeah, that's my grandmother, and why do you have her urn? I was pretty surprised. I, I do know there's like good people in this world. She loved the hell out of me. 
Yeah, so Ania's grandson and uh, Sarah Grace Long found the time to meet up, and now the urn is back in uh, his possession. And have you, did you see the story about the Toronto Blue Jays pitcher Anthony Bass sparking this heated debate, social media, after claiming that a United Airlines employee made his pregnant wife clean up food uh, mess left by his kids on a flight? The flight attendant, he tweeted this out. He said, the flight attendant made my 22-week pregnant wife traveling with a 5-year-old and a 2-year-old get on her hands and knees to pick up popcorn left by his kids who were on this flight. He says that should have never happened. Uh, he says the flight crew should have cleaned up after his kids. So this sparks this huge debate about cleaning up after your kids when they make a mess, even if you are 22 weeks pregnant. On Twitter, some saying, no, it's not up to the flight crew to clean up after your kids' mess. Even if your wife's pregnant, she should get on the ground and clean it up. Others say no, that the United crew should have come to this woman's rescue. Say, look how pregnant she is. We'll get on the ground and clean up all the popcorn she's flown on the ground.